Welcome to the School of Unlearning. I'm your host, Elisa Haggerty. I've always believed in the power of questions. They create a gap, a space where we pause and begin to challenge the world around us. Without questions, we're stuck in the trance of life, a life given to us versus one created with agency. Your journey to rethink and unlearn the norms no longer serving you begins now. Hey everyone, welcome to the School of Unlearning. On this episode, we're sitting down with my friend, Laura Lee Bryant, who is a chef, cookbook author, and an overall incredible human being. Laura Lee grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and there was a way that women were supposed to be. And very early on, Laura Lee decided she was going to find her own way, not just in relationships, but also in her career and how she decided to challenge the norms around her. I think you're going to love this podcast. It's about as real as Laura Lee and I've ever been on a podcast. We cover what red flags look like on social media, in relationships, and how we're both sort of unlearning uh, how to create a more balanced and healthy relationship with food. Uh, So please enjoy this podcast and share it with those who you think would uh, benefit as well. So welcome, Laura Lee, to the School of Unlearning podcast. It's good to see you, friend. So good. I'm so, so excited. I know. This is so wild. Um, Correct me on the dates, but I believe we went to, we know each other through culinary school. We went in like 2011, 2012. Is that right? I think 2012. And then I think it was 2013 that we graduated. Sweet. So we've known each other for a long time. And um, I I have specific memories of being like in class with you, the baking section and like eating morsels of chocolate when the instructor wasn't looking and you and I were like hoarding the chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) That tracks. That's all 100%. So I thought about you for many reasons. I've I've been following your work for a long time. Your recipes are delicious. If you guys are listening, please go follow her on Instagram Um, and your website too, which your website is llbalance.com. Cool. And um, we'll put all this in the show notes too, so people can, can check it out. So I've been following your recipes and your evolution, not only as a chef, but as a, as a friend and also as someone who's navigating a large online community. So I'm so curious to see like where you are these days with that. But where I begin most of these podcasts is um, a little further back. I'd love to hear what um, inspired you in childhood to get into what you do now and uh, how it came about. Yeah, absolutely. And I just love this so much. And I, I said this before, but I, I definitely want this conversation to be a back and forth as well, because you're so fascinating. And I, I don't know how many of your guests know you well enough to know that. So um, I may have some questions for you. But I so yeah, way, way back, I grew up in a home with a mom who was an amazing cook. She's a better cook than I'll ever be. Uh, she made scratch meals every single night and we had family dinner and that was normal to me but i didn't know that that's actually kind of an anomaly even then it was a bit of an anomaly and i i think that subconsciously i had all these like warm and fuzzy associations with food and with eating around a table and the healing power of that but i didn't know it at the time and i didn't know it until i was in new york and i had been there for four years before i found our culinary school and i was really miserable i was like intensely anxious and unhappy and directionless and it was cooking that really saved me in a lot of ways i stopped partying all the time and eating takeout for every meal. And I started going to the farmer's markets and Mm -hmm. real food and my anxiety got so much better. And I remember you and I having conversations about that, but very few people were talking about the mental health component at that time. Mm -hmm. 
it was really not a big part of the conversation, but that was my, that was like my primary catalyst. You know, I actually, this is coming back to me. I remember you and I talking about that in culinary school, anxiety specifically and like food and mood. And I was just starting, I think I was just starting my uh, business culinary pharmacy at the time. I was like two, two or three years in. And it was all about like, how does what we eat and how we live affect our mood? And um, it sounds like from a young age, food was something that was sort of like at the center of the household and the center of relationships. So I'm just curious, was your mom or someone else the more influential person in your life to like help you go down this path or just become who you are now? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think in terms of food, she definitely was a huge, huge influence. And just the, but I I would bring my dad into that as well. The importance of having a conversation, asking us how our day was, the consistency of being at the table. I mean, we very rarely missed that. I think that the, the culture that my parents created in our home is largely why I understood not just the power of the food itself, but I mean, you remember the best, at least I think for both of us, the best times we had in culinary school were when we would finish making a bunch of food and then we got to sit around and just hang out and eat and chat. And, um, I was like, we fell in love with our whole class. Like it was this family that we created. That was, that was the best part of all of it was this little family that we created. And Mm -hmm. just so to me that if you have to put them in some kind of order, I think that comes first almost before the the content of the food itself. Um, but yeah, in terms of who I am, I think it was just an amalgam of a lot of different scenarios. I think part of my life journey is not feeling like I have a sense of belonging. I always felt like a little bit of a outsider in my family and wanted to follow Mm -hmm. a traditional path for them, but knew that that wasn't in my bones. I'm currently sitting here in an apartment in Asheville, North Carolina, where like, and like, I feel like everything I've done for the, my whole life, people have just kind of looked at me like, ah, uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't quite fit the mold. And I felt that. And so it really wasn't until I went to culinary school and took that leap of faith that I started to build, I think my real identity and begin the journey of knowing myself, which I'm still on, of course. Yeah, that's amazing. So you found your tribe through food, it sounds like. Absolutely. I think now my world is expanded. So I definitely have people that are some of my best friends who I love who have nothing to do with, I mean, they love food in their own ways. And um, it's actually, it's funny now that I'm thinking like my two closest friends, three closest friends all have, all have businesses related to food, but I don't know in totally different ways. I guess I'm thinking more like wellness. So it's, it's definitely expanded, but there's no question that I felt like a bit of a misfit until I found this world and then stepped into what we created in that year and knew that that was just where I was going to find. Yeah. Find my people. So I'm curious about this sense of belonging because it's so tribal, like all of us, um, I've said this before in a few different podcasts, but we fear getting kicked out of the tribe more than we fear death because we all know we're going to die, but getting kicked out of a tribe, a community, a friend group, um, a family, that is like, that's a, that's the worst thing possible. And so what do you think made you feel? It could have been like what you, again, what you told you were, you were told you were supposed to be who you were told you're supposed to um, act like. What kind of made you feel at a young age that you didn't belong? What was what was the narrative for you that made you feel like I don't fit in here? Mm-hmm. I first of all, I love this because this is not really something that I've been asked or gotten into in conversations. I and I want to be thoughtful about what I say. 
growing up in the South, women are even even in the 90s, which obviously felt modern at the time and early 2000s, it was more sort of women are meant to be seen and not heard. And mm. I've always been a very um, I'm introverted, but I'm a, I guess, an extroverted introvert or maybe the other way around, but I've always worn my heart on my sleeve. I like to talk about uncomfortable subjects. I like to be extremely vulnerable. I, unlike, you know, I think my, a lot of my, my mother's friends and generation, I was very overtly feminine and, um, I, I think I am sort of a naturally dramatic person and I've had to become comfortable with that. And life has just, life is big for me there. It's, it's a roller coaster. Funny things seem to happen to me and I make a lot of big mistakes, but I also have a lot of cool shit that happens. And I think mm. that was really uncomfortable for the people who wanted me to be safe. And um, so I think early on I was, kind of being indirectly told to be safe and be small. And I knew that that wasn't me. And so that that juxtaposition is really confusing that dissonance. Mm, that's a lot of dissonance. And I, I just want to be clear, it sounds like they wanted themselves to be safe because you were too young to really be in harm. You were just living your life. And I think society does that, right? They say like, we want the family image, the fa our children to be viewed upon like this and have this kind of career and this kind of life so that our family dynamic is safe. And I think a lot of times we project our safety on other people or our sense of safety on other people. Um, that can happen easy in a, in a lot of like family dynamics. Um, so it sounds like on one level, you were told, you know, women are supposed to be seen, not heard, which I think is basically a learning. Uh, you were indoctrinated with that from like maybe observing relationships, hearing people talk to you. Um, and something in you was like, no, that's not going to be my life. And it took you until your mid-20s, it sounds like, in culinary school to be like, oh, now I have something to say and this is, this is where I want to go. So can you kind of walk me through that turning point? You know, I think, I guess, I guess it is culinary school, but walk me through that turning point where you decided to unlearn this women are supposed to be seen, not heard. Oh, yeah, it's funny. There are very few, I think, big decisions in life where people can actually pinpoint an exact moment. I, I know I don't have a ton of those, but with this, I actually did have a very sort of revelatory moment. I remember being on probably, it was probably like second and maybe like 38th, like kind of right around there. And I was at a bodega. I'd just gotten a kombucha. Kombucha, I don't know why I just said it like that. Kombucha. I say, I say that too, don't worry. Um, and I was drinking that and I, had been, I'd gone to the NGI, the, the culinary school that we went to, I'd gone to the orientation and I had just fallen in love with the whole program. And I was convinced, trying to convince myself why I shouldn't do that, why I couldn't do that, do that. And I just had this moment as I was standing there, like Lee, get a grip. You are, I was 26 or 27. You are so privileged honestly you are never going to be on the streets if this doesn't work out and it doesn't have to make sense to anyone else because you've been given way too much not to take this risk and um and you're so young i felt so old we feel so old or i don't feel this i feel younger at 35 than i did then right old i felt washed up and like i couldn't possibly start over until that moment i realized how ridiculous that was i was just kind of able to like telescope out 
And I thought I am going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to apply to the school and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to figure out a way to make this work. And then like with all of the big decisions in my life that I've made in the last 10 years, including Mm -hmm. this, where I was really genuinely listening to my gut, it just fell into place. It just found, you know, found a way. I love that. I also love how that always happens like decade after decade. Like, you know, you don't, you don't learn something once you have to relearn things like to listen to your gut. You have to relearn that like daily, like hourly. (laughs) So talk to me about that or just like listening to your gut. And what does that mean for you these days? Like, how do you know when you're making a full body? Yes. Versus like, uh, uh, it could work, you know, maybe like, how do you kind of differentiate between that? It's that is such such a great question. I mean, I do think some of it is visceral. I think some of it is an actual feeling that you need to pay attention to in your body. And I, we're so comfortable with it when we're little and we, but, but it is, it's a muscle memory that I think we can kind of get back into if we start to pay attention. And I really had a feeling of like lightness in my gut and a relaxation and an excitement and a kind of butterfly feeling when I thought about this opportunity versus the tension that came with imagining my yeah. life as it was. So some of it, I think is physical. And then some of it, I really think requires you to stop and, and actually envision what your life is like, kind of play it forward when you're getting that, mm-hmm. this, this kind of, um, little like just this little sensation that you don't know if you just you kind of want to swat it away like a fly but eventually if you just take a pause to actually investigate it and kind of close your eyes and imagine uh, what that looks like versus not making the choice it's usually pretty obvious and sometimes there's quite a bit of resistance that comes with making the choice because even when we know it's right it can be it's often the harder scarier choice so i think that can make it even more difficult to listen to but um, I, it has now been very, very clear to me when I've ignored some major red flags and aspects of my life and not listened yeah. to it versus when I have listened and watched it unfold in a really beautiful way. But it's so hard. It's definitely a daily practice. And I am in the process of unlearning so much in particular about relationships. I feel like it's all an unlearning for me at, at the moment. Oh my gosh. I want to go into the relationships on learning. But before I do that, I have one more question around childhood for you. Um, You mentioned having a lot of uh, being blessed, like being really fortunate with like routines at night, dinner was always valued, like food was a, a big deal. It was something that brought people together. I'm curious, like during those formative years, what was something that you were taught was important or told was important that actually is still important today? Like it's a learning that you were given Um, but year after year, it's, it's tested out to be true for you. It stayed with you. You haven't had to unlearn it, for example. So just curious what's staying with you since childhood. Mm -hmm. One thing I really appreciate about my parents is they always instilled quite a bit of not just humility, but perspective about stuff in life and what we want and things and desires. And, um, I'll never forget my, my mom telling me, like, it doesn't matter how many times you, you know, walk into a store and you can buy the whole store out every single time. Not that we could have done that, but one, one could. Yeah. And you're going to go back and want something else. You're always going to want more if that's your perspective about it. There's always new shiny things. There's always, there's always, you know, that's what the world does. It just pumps stuff out. Yeah. Of 
Um, and she really taught me that you'll never be satisfied with that. And I think it's why I am a very, um, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm really working on that I struggle with, but I'm just not a particularly materialistic sort of sentimental person in that way when it comes to things. Not that there's anything wrong with holding, putting some value in sentimental objects, but I have, I think it's given me an enormous amount of freedom because I just don't hang on to stuff and I just don't have a desire for things um, for excess. So that's been really powerful, especially, you know, when you live in a city like New York, you really have to, you have to have that perspective or it's just too easy to either constantly feel like you're less than or to get yourself in some real trouble. Um, consumerism. Yes. The attention economy. Yes. Um, I feel, I feel it really, really strongly that we are constantly being like advertised to and pitched something every single day. Um, every time I go on a social media app, I'm like, oh, I should buy this. I should buy this. And I end up sometimes buying them and I never really fills the void that I need. It just ends up being another thing. Right. And so um, that's sort of like its own like um, behavioral and psychological conversation we can get into at some point. But um, so, yeah, tell me a little bit about what you're unlearning these days. So your career is really successful. Um, for those of you who are listening again, her recipes are off the hook. Um, I've tried many of them. And um, I'm hoping one day you could just mail me like a week's worth of, you know, cookies and your favorite brownies. That's my dream. Um, <laughs> I can make that happen. Sweet. So you have two cookbooks that you've published. I know you have some other stuff in the works, which we can discuss at any point. Um, what are you kind of unlearning, though, around um, around your career? Like, you know, you went to culinary school in 2012 and you were like, I'm going to see where this takes me. And now you're eight years, nine years down the road, and it's taking you somewhere. It's taking you some really cool places and it's connected you to a huge community on Instagram, for example. So like, what are you, what are you learning about that process as being like a full-time successful chef and recipe creator and thought leader in the food world? And what are you unlearning? Like, what are you like, Ooh, I need to like repattern this, you know? It's so funny. I, the first thing that comes to my mind is that with every passing day, as I become more experienced in this career, I know way less. I came out hot out of culinary school, like convinced I had, I knew it all and was so yeah. dogmatic. And Same. I, yeah, <laughs> we, we were because also we were, there were so few of us, you know, and we felt like we, we had, we, we had it, we, we knew the answers. And as time has gone on, I've realized that some of the healthiest periods of my life have been when my it, food intake has been way less traditionally healthy. And I say that obviously with caveats, people have to yeah. be really thoughtful with whatever conditions they have going on. And, but for me personally, as someone who is a, a sort of a healthy person, I don't have intolerances. I don't have any major sensitivities. Um, I don't have much inflammation at all. I have found that the more I relax and the more I'm open to flexibility and, um, that the better my mental health is, the better my physical health is. And the more I can rely on my body to let me know when it's just like had to, you know, when it's over, overindulged. And I'm also so, I used to be so comfortable, like spouting information at people and mm -hmm. telling them what to do and what to think. And I am so careful now. I almost always defer to somebody who is a true expert in whatever someone's asking me. I almost never give recommendations to people anymore. Um, I just, unless I can come up with a very well 
researched scholarly article for a specific point, like I am really OCD about that. I'm not cool. going to share. I'm not going to give you an opinion on it. Um, it's just not not my lane. And I think that's what I've those are the things I've kind of been learning and unlearning simultaneously. So it sounds like the more flexible, the better your mental health, uh, which is great, because I think you and I both started and we were both like super dedicated to like having a view and an opinion and having a profession. And really, we were so sweet and young and ambitious. And I think the only thing we had at the time was passion. We didn't really have the experience. We were just like, we were just like, shit, food changed our life. We have to go change the world and tell the world about this. And we did. And we did. A, we did yeah. great. Work. I'm really proud of both of our careers in that in that realm. And you're getting to the same place where I am too these days where someone asked me like, what's your food like these days? I'm like, I don't know. I just eat food. Like I don't, like, I don't yeah. want to talk about like paleo. I this. Like I don't care. I know. It's so funny. I was literally saying that on a call earlier today. I was like, if I like, I get it. I love a paleo banana bread. Like totally. I'm just so sick of talking about them. And I'm so sick of talking about like what sh people should or shouldn't do or these yeah. rules. Um, it just feels amazing to not. One thing I love your opinion on is I'm realizing now, because I feel like we weren't like the first batch of humans to like think about eating healthy, but we were one of the first people with social media and building careers 10 years ago, plus that were out there like on the street, consulting, helping, coaching, teaching, recipe demoing. And I feel like the health industry now is kind of taking a turn. I feel like people are saying what we're saying. People who've done the elimination diets, the dedication, the test kits, the supplements, after about five or six years, they're like, bye. Like, I'm okay, over I'm over that. And I think that there really becomes a fatigue to it. And I, I know that it can bend upon like something called orthorexia, which is just an obsession with health, which I'm very compassionate to because I'm still very proactive about my health. But I have to be, I have to, I have to check myself because I sometimes I'm like, Oh, I feel a symptom. What supplement do I take? And then I'm like, wait, no, how about you just go outside and walk? Like, do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. um, I'd love to know your thoughts on like the industry, where it is now. And actually, like, are, are we kind of like seeing a, um, a retreat from fanatical diets into something more playful and more flexible? I think so. I think that is happening. And obviously, I wish COVID had not, it didn't exist and had never existed. But I do think that one of the things that's come out of it is people, it just, just perfect perspective shifting. And I think people, one, I think people's taste buds genuinely changed when we were in such a state of chronic stress with no precedent for yeah. what it could look like. People didn't want to be eating tons of raw vegetables and, you know, super like, just like sort of what we consider traditionally healthy food. People wanted comfort food. They wanted things that were cozy and hearty and memory based, craving based. And um, mm -hmm. I definitely saw a shift in that. And people were just way more like, can we just all relax and enjoy like being in our own little pods? And um, because we don't know what's going to happen. So I'm not going to yeah. obsess with everything and throwing, you know, organic sprouts on every meal. And I, so I think that's definitely changing and I'm seeing way more of the conversations focusing less on the food content itself and more on the bigger conversation around it. But there's a lot of drama with that too. As you know, people have really different perspectives on language around body positivity and health at any size. And, um, I'm not, I am not giving an opinion on it yet. Cause I don't have an opinion. Cause I don't know near, I really don't know any, I do not know enough to give any kind of 
uh, opinion on that, but we are definitely seeing, I think, much less about food and much more about the the bigger issues around it. Yeah, for sure. I think we're we're kind of coming 360, right? It's like when you look at some of the studies with the blue zone, yes, they ate a particular diet, but they also like hung out with each other and they had communities and the elders were at the center of communities. Like the elders were like not sequestered in homes, put off to the side. The elders were like in the center of town and involved and community again and again tends to be like the number one driver of behavior change, mental health. And, you know, ironically, sitting down to a good meal with friends is generally the thing that makes me feel the best, no matter what we're eating. So I kind of love it. I'm kind of, I'm kind of like loving the health gurus out there who are like starting to say what what we're now saying, which is like, relax, like eat a Cheeto if you want. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. Oh my God. And you know, for me, a lot of it really was after my divorce, it was the first time that I went from uh, living to eat to eating to live in a really long time. I just didn't care. I didn't have an appetite. So if someone brought me like I remember, you know, friends would bring me a bagel for, and cream cheese and all of a sudden something that I would have like abhorred for a million reasons. All of a sudden I was just like, this tastes great. This is going to get the job done. And maybe I'm going to have like, I don't know, Snickers for dinner. I'm not and I'm not touting that as, as what you should do, but it, it it definitely was a huge learning curve for me to see that the over time, what I saw was that shifted into something much more healthy where, you know, I would still crave like some nutrient dense whole foods, but I was so much more comfortable, um, you know, going out to eat and just choosing the not, not going to the menu and thinking what's the healthiest thing on the menu, but what do I actually genuinely want and seeing that you can have those things and, you know, nothing will implode. I think it's really, really important. Yeah. I think that's a really big thing. Um, I I think, you know, I said this for a while too, when I ran my business was like, it's, it is what you eat for those people who have conditions, chronic conditions for sure. Like that can help. Um, but it's also like how you eat and who you eat with and what time of day. And like, do you like it? Does it taste good? Like those are all, there's so many factors. Like, are you chewing? Like, like there's so many factors we could go down the line, but, uh, it sounds like we're both in the same place of, kind of uh, unlearning and challenging this sense of like health has to look one way with food. And I, I'm, I'm really happy to be experiencing it too on my end, but um, I'm curious, like what is still challenging for you to unlearn? Like what's, what's hard? Like you mentioned relationships earlier, like it, are there things that are challenging in relearning and like breaking old habits and unlearning, like what we thought relationships should be? Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is, is that I don't know that I have, I want to be careful. I don't know that I have a roadmap for what the kind of relationship I want to be in. I'm not bringing anyone else into this other than specifically, I don't, I think I am in the process of learning and unlearning my version of a healthy relationship and an ideal relationship. And um, I am just creating that you know, currently. And that has been a huge journey for me. I think that I have chosen, gosh, I have to be so careful because I really, I don't, I really just don't want to be offensive to anyone I've been in a relationship with. Yeah. I think I'm just in a process of, of, as I recognize that I am 
I've chosen an unconventional path in a lot of ways. And I think in some ways, what's most important to me is a little bit unconventional, um, especially coming from the culture that I do, that shifts the kind of relationship that is probably the right fit for me. And there's an incredible amount of unlearning people's expectations of where I should be and what I actually really genuinely want for myself. And um, what that will look like in the future. And that is totally in process. <laughs> it sounds like, honestly, Laura Lee, the more I, I'm asking you some of these questions, we're having this amazing conversation. You've been unlearning and like pulling back from what especially a, a woman in the South is expected to do and how they're supposed to behave, what career they're supposed to have and how many kids are supposed to have by some age. Like you've been, you've been kind of like on your own path for a long time. Um, even if maybe the change didn't come until culinary school, it sounds like the the shift, but you've been kind of resisting this sense of like tradition and like you mentioned the conventional way for like your whole life. Is that, does that feel right for you? I think that is right. I think I've always felt a little bit, I've always felt like a little bit of a misfit and it wasn't, and I, and I felt enormously, I had a really difficult time in college, which no one would know that. I, I was having a hard time because I just went along with all the things, but it was yeah. really, um, it was a really difficult time. And then it wasn't until I kind of stripped away all the stimulation that comes with college. And I was living in New York that I was able to really feel that and experience that. But I do think this has been a lifelong journey for me to go from when I was little, I was just a all have, I, I just sort of describe myself as like an all have what they're having kind of person. I just mm -hmm. wanted to and I wanted to desperate, I wanted so desperately to fit in and just to please. And, um, but there was this other part of me that's been fighting that for so long. And I really believe here in at 35, what I've seen in my life. And e even in the last three months with this huge shift that I've made, that I am moving in the right direction. And that is, that's a really good feeling, but it's definitely, it's scary too. Yeah. Um, can I jump back to the relationships thing? Cause I feel like you were hinting at something really important that there are some things that have been hard for you to unlearn about what a healthy relationship is. What's what, can you give me an example? You don't have to be specific, like with a person, but like, what's an example of something you thought was healthy that you were told by society or someone was healthy in a relationship. And then you were like, skirt, I experienced it. No way. Like, what was that? Is it a boundary? Is it a communication? Is it a cadence of seeing somebody like, what have you had to unlearn there? Mm hmm. I think that I have equated, um, I think I've equated the measure or the volume of affection with its value. Mm -hmm. And so I have said, you know, if I'm getting love notes and all the right words and over the top gestures, that means this person, that's a healthier love. That's a better love. That's a whatever, more valuable love. And even though that's actually not at all what I saw in my parents, and I think that's some way that I like differentiated and went the opposite direction. And right. so I'm, I'm realizing that for me, what feels like a much safer, healthier love is much more gentle, is much more boundaried, is much more, there's a lot more um, space in between um, in between the, 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 I guess the momentum. One thing I will say for my next relationship um, is privacy is going to be a huge thing for me. I have been really public about my relationships in the past and that has not served me. 
Not because honestly, at the end of the day, I don't really care that much about what people think I've gotten. I used to care a lot more. I care a lot less. You really can't have a social media presence and care what people think, or you would just stay in bed all day. Yeah. (laughs) But, But because my journey is to form my own opinions and to not, and to not make decisions based off what other people want or think, it's really, really important that I choose somebody independently of other people's opinions and that I keep that private for a long time. So good. Well, I high five on that friend. I support you for all the privacy that you wish to have. Um, So I guess that brings me to a few things. Well, I guess I would say like the relationship thing broadly, what I've noticed and I'm realizing in relationships is that like, love bombing is a thing. And I didn't realize it was a thing until it was happening to me. And I thought it was to your point, like, good, that it meant that it was a deep love and a strong love. But actually, it could be a big sign of scarcity and graspiness and wanting to someone else to secure you. And I'm, I'm not in that space anymore. Like I'm 37, currently single, open to dating, but like, I don't want to be like made someone's wife or partner. Like, you know, I want to evolve with someone. And what I've, what I've found is like people like you or they love you. And immediately it's like, let's plan the next six things. I'm like, can we just plan next week? Like, like I have so much going on in my life that it's, I have a much more protective, fierce sense of my independence, just like you said, than I did at 22, where I just felt like you find the person, you marry them and you move on. And, you know, I, I don't know. So that's, that's where I am in terms of relationships is I'm like, oh, love bombing, like 16 love notes in a week. Like, I like what, <laughs> like that's not actually healthy. So that's something you've experienced as well. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, and at first it's subtle. Sometimes it's like buying someone buying you all this stuff or sending you all this mail. And I'm like, you know, we haven't met yet. We just met on, we we're just dating online. You know, we do, we haven't met yet. Like why are, you know, care packages are really sweet, but like, let's meet first and let's see what's there. And I just feel like, look, I'm, I'm like hungry for having a partner, but I'm not, I'm not grasped before it. I'm just, I need it to come when it's supposed to come and come in the time that it's supposed to come. So I'm learning to differentiate between love bombing and like a genuine slow, like building and being curious together. So yeah, it's, it's tough. It's hard not to make when you're used to it too, or even if you have that, that experience. And, and I will say, I will take responsibility for the fact that I've definitely done some of that myself. Like I'm yeah. a romantic and Me I, too. But yeah. And so I've definitely done, done that on my end. It's a natural thing. And it's not always a, it's not, there's not always malintent behind it or like it's not always insidious, but it, but it's not indicative of something that is necessarily healthy or sustainable or um, yeah, has the, has the right foundation. So I can definitely, I've definitely done that myself. And so I'm having to reverse engineer that as well as I, you know, approach the, whatever is to come in my life. And Um, but it's fascinating how it's so freeing. I don't divorce sucks and I don't wish it upon anyone, but at the same time, it really, there is something freeing about being like, okay, I did that. The scary thing happened and I'm okay. And I've learned so much and I know I'm going to be a better partner and I'm a, I think I'm a better person in a lot of ways. And I also know that there's just certain things I would, you know, certain certain learnings that you would um, pay attention to next time, basically. Yeah. I think that there's just a lot of things I learned from being married and there's something so beautiful. I loved being married. There's something beautiful about, about it. I, it wasn't the right fit for us. And ultimately there, it was the right decision for us to not be together. But I think marriage is 
is beautiful or that kind of intimate committed partnership. Like I don't, um, it's definitely taught me that I, I do like that, but it just has to, you know, all the other factors have to be in place. So. Yeah. Or be workable if they're not in place, like we can work on this and we'll move forward. Um, so I'm curious about another form of relationship. So as you left culinary school, you, I think you started an Instagram account and a website and you, your audience has really grown organically over the years and you have a lot of engagement. People love your recipes. They're like, Oh my gosh, like (laughs) they're, I'm sharing them with everyone. Like I'm generally just like stalking your page and I'm like, what can I make now? Kind of vibe. Um, cause you make great things and you make it approachable and comfort oriented versus like dogmatic and calorie counting, which is like no bueno here. Um, so my, my question is around social media. Um, when you first embarked on creating, uh, literally just LL balanced and you put yourself out there, um, what have you learned around social media and what are the things you're like, oh, I need to unlearn my sense of value with my likes or value with my followers. Like what are you kind of peeling back now that you've built a a really massive following, a genuine following? Um, Where are you with your relationship in social media? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, um, it's one of those things like I I couldn't have imagined navigating this number of people and I'm still, I'm super micro compared to so many people, but I couldn't have imagined it, but thankfully it has grown. It has really grown. It's grown fast, but, but slowly over years, I think you hit the nail on the head. It is a constant unlearning not to put too much weight into people's opinions and how much they interact with you and what they have to say about you because I shared a, I shared a picture of my second vaccination and I had, there, there are women who have been messaging me for six years, almost every single day who I've had a great rapport with a great relationship with. And for whatever reason, they were very offended that I was vaccinated and they sent me scathing messages convinced that I had been paid specifically $1,300 by the government to share that I was vaccinated. Nice. And I, I know I was like, I mean, no one offered that to me, but I'm not saying I wouldn't have taken it, but um, right, right. paid for that. And it was just, it was a little, it was a, it was a moment of unlearning where I had to be like, okay, I really thought I knew this person because I mean, I'm telling you almost every day for years, these people that you, you know, they're my ride or die. They're, they're so supportive. They know me, they love me, whatever. No, they, they don't, they don't care. They only cared as far as I served them. Now I will also want to say for anyone in my community who is listening, there are some really amazing, brilliant, genuine wonderful people in my community, but you just have to be careful because you just don't know people. It's kind of like the love bombing. Like, what does it say when a person on Instagram who's not yet met you is messaging you daily for years? Like, it's like, that's a good point. It's like, might, might be like a love bombing red flag. Like you haven't hugged me yet. You haven't sat down with me on my worst day, you know? And so it's interesting the way that viewers view you as like a commodity or someone that it's interesting psychologically, right? Like you wake up to someone's feed and you're like, oh, I know what this person does. And she shares a lot. So like, they feel like they can cross a boundary and tell you what to do with your body or, you know, and so I I think that there's a lot there in social media that people, I think we're all starting to unlearn like what to share, how to share it and how to work with like the shitstorm that we get back sometimes, you know? 
Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I, yes, I think that's exactly right. And you make a good point that because of this voyeuristic quality with social media and because I do a ton of stories, what I always think is funny is that even though I do a lot of stories, it's like maybe 20 minutes out of my day at the most, you know, like I'm just in maybe on a, maybe on a really busy day, I'm sharing 30 to 40 minutes of my entire day on social media. And people think that that's my whole life and they make a lot of assumptions. They fill in a lot of gaps um, with those 15 to 30 minutes. And, and so I understand that because of that, we, because of that culture, and I, I'm guilty of that with certain people I follow, I make assumptions about them that we, we do have a say in their lives and we forget that like, you know, they, um, it's there's just so much complexity to it i mean like most people who follow me don't know that i like totally have a sailor's mouth and love to curse and i've been keeping it keeping my shit together here um but i really don't on my social media because i do have like quite a few like young high schoolers who follow me and it's just Mm. like you know me but you don't you know yeah it sounds like it's been a roller coaster for you, honestly, in a lot of good ways, like a lot of growth. And I'm sure you probably connected people. I mean, I've, I've made friends on social media, like genuine yeah. friends. Like I'm, I, I went on vacation with someone who I met mm-hmm. on social media. Like I've had clients come from social media. Social media to me has become a bit of a dating site too. Like what? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like it just becomes yeah. everything. So yeah, um, it's kind of wild. So yeah great things about it. There's, and I'm so grateful for my community, um, for practical reasons, but also for heart reasons. Like, and I don't, because it's, because it's grown so slowly and it's been such a natural, um, growth of people who genuinely want to be there. The, the, and it's mostly women, the women in my community are so smart and they teach me things all the time. And I have met fabulous entrepreneurs and doctors mm-hmm. and creators and like just people doing fascinating things who know way more than I do. And I, that I've absolutely loved. And I've met some of my closest friends as well. So it, it is such a blessing. And then for practical reasons, it is a, it's a, it's, you know, the way I grow my business, but you just have to take it all with a real grain of salt and remember that there are truly, there are some really clear patterns when the world is stressed out, people are meaner on social media. I mean, it's just mm. it's true. Well, the world is very stressed out. I feel like <laughs> there's been a lot, a lot to be stressed out about. Um, so now when you post, uh, how do you, how do you post now? Like what's different now about you posting versus you five years ago posting? Well, in terms of your thought process and the content or anything? Yeah, I, I, I definitely want to have beautiful pictures at this point, but I'm, I am a little bit less obsessive about it. And I would say it's, they're still curated for sure. But in terms of like my, my mental curation, I'm just, I put a lot less stock in, um, how it goes, what it means, just the meaning that I make out of it. And I also don't force myself to pump out three posts a day, every day, which a lot of people do. I have gotten to a point where I'm really comfortable saying, here are the features. Cause you know, Instagram would have you using every feature they have all the time. They want you yeah. on there nonstop. And I've realized I hate doing reels. I hate them. And so I'm not going to do that now. Would it grow my engagement and help me probably make more money? Yes. But I just, really don't like doing them. So it's not sustainable. So whereas I used to be in such a rat race, rat race with social media, I've really come to a point where I'm confident 
pulling from pulling from it, what works for me, and then like trying to let go of what's, um, what doesn't serve me. And then I also used to check my messages, my DMs constantly throughout the day. And now I check them like once or twice a day, maybe. And I used to be really uncomfortable with like 50, 60 messages sitting in my inbox. And now I'm just like, if I don't get to it, I don't get to it. Um, and that's, that's a really good feeling. Yeah. Amazing. So what would you tell someone who has a following that's growing and, or maybe they're just really into their following? They're just, they could have 2000 followers, but they're obsessed. Like from a mental health, this is, uh, you know, May is national mental health awareness month. Um, from a mental health perspective, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe too engaged with their Instagram from like reactive validation perspective or someone who genuinely has thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of followers? Like what's a mental health tip you might give them, uh, to help mediate that? So I think the most important thing for me and what I would suggest to people, um, lovingly is to make sure that you are really cultivating um, a skill set and a community outside of social media. And if make sure that if, if social media went away, what is a skill, what's a skill that you have a talent? um, What is something that you are really proud of? or you really love that you could then grow an organic in-person community with? And Um, I think that's so, so valuable to make sure that you're still, you're prioritizing the real humans and in your life and also an actual, some kind of um, trade that you do. I, social media went away. I would be, you know, I would have to scramble and figure out what my life looked like, but no one can take away from my, my ability to teach cooking. So I would go back to what I did eight years ago and I would go door to door and I would Post in coffee shops and you know juice bars, and I would teach classes, and I would yay, you know. I love it. I love it. It's it's a really great answer and a great prompt. If and if you're just tuning in or you missed it, but the question is, if social media went away, you know, how would you connect with people? What skills would you have that would bring you closer to humans and other people? I think that's a great thing we should all be considering every single day. You know, I don't know if you know the author Cal Newport. He um. He's a, he's a thought leader. He wrote a book called Digital Minimalism. He's written many of books and he doesn't have any social media platforms at all. He's not on them. He's chosen to be minimalistic in his digital use, but yet he's a best-selling author. He's a sought out speaker. He's an amazing, he goes to Google and Harvard and, you know, mentors people on how to like have better workforces, be more efficient and how to use technology. And so he, he said, he goes, you know, like, he goes, one of his famous quotes is like, be so good, they can't ignore you. And he's like, you know, it would actually be disadvantageous if I was promoting myself on social media. Like if you go to my hashtag, Cal Newport on Instagram or Twitter, people are talking about him, but not because he's on the media platforms, because he's just doing good work. So it's like, I I think about that a lot. It's like, just do really good work, write that amazing poem, make that amazing recipe cook in such a way that hundreds of people, dozens of people are showing up to taste the food that you make and people, you know, will share it. And I think that's, it's very like common sense wisdom, but like in this world of social media and consumerism, I think we all get really caught up in using that to get ahead versus the skill or the craft or the genius that you bring to the world, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, I I definitely need to look into his work more. Um, but yeah, I think what's happened is people want to start with, they want, they want to, they're mentally starting with the following and then they're trying to work backwards and you, it just doesn't work that way. You have to start with 
the you have to start with the work and what um, what you what the what value you bring to the table and you have to do it every day consistently. Like I've been doing this for almost a decade. You and I both have. And people that is that is way more common than what than this idea of like an overnight success. I mean, most of the time it takes people close to a decade to really build a business. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with that idea. But I mean, I spent years literally just saying yes to anything food related and showing up 150% and putting everything into it and not getting paid for a lot of it and spending money. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I have had really a thriving business on its own. And it just, you have to, you have to want it that badly, you know? And you, to your point, you have to put the work in. I love that you said most people, it takes them years and years to become profitable, like on that perspective, like there's all kinds of value you get by doing the work, but you know, to make a living out of it takes a long time. I mean, it took me at least five or six years to feel like I was in a really good place to survive on my own around my own business. So, um, I think actually one of the sharks on Shark Tank said that recently. He was like, uh, it took me 10 years to like make a salary, like, you know, but now he's doing yeah. quite well. I have a couple more questions. I know you have things for me too. So you jump in at any time. Um, I'm curious what, what your definition of unlearning is. Like if you were to define it, what would you say? Yeah, I think unlearning is so... One thing I thought a lot about in the last um, five years, I would say in particular, even before the end of before the end of my marriage, I was, I think I was thinking about grief a lot because I think in some ways I, I had a feeling that things in my life were going to change. So I'm learning a lot about the process of grief, and I think in some ways unlearning is is like that. It's just this sort of very uh, non-linear thing um where you where can just show up in a lot of different ways and you have to constantly remind yourself that you are moving towards a better understanding towards an unlearning towards um a clearer picture for yourself and your life but that it's going to be like this and so i would say yeah i mean unlearning is just the process of um first understanding what roadmaps we've been given and and the what what decisions where we're make where our decisions are coming from in the yeah. first place. Then you have to choose what you want to do differently. And then you have to just be really patient with this sort of nonlinear um, hmm. situation of, yeah, taking in input and figuring out if it works or not. I love that so much. Thank you for that answer. Um, it hits on so many of the things that I think speak to me in my life too, is like this nonlinear process. I, I think people think like you, you intellectually understand something and then it's going to be applied day after day. It's like, no, <laughs> like we have an emotional and cognitive load that we have to work with our bodies too. And then society, like, you know, for you, you claimed independence of your sense of self from a very young age. And then year after year, decade after decade, and probably moving forward, it's still going to come up. You still have to kind of voice like, no, this is good for me. Like, it's good for me to move to this town. It's good for me to be in this, you know, business opportunity. And that's probably something you'll that keep on learning in some small way as the years go on. But I, I really resonate with that. Yeah. And that, um, so that sort of like catalyzes, I guess what I wanted to hear from you, which is you had, you've done so much incredible growth and I always thought of you and think of you as an expert. And so it's been, um, a pleasure and also been, 
so fascinating for me to watch what has seemed like sort of revel- a revelatory few years for you traveling and getting to know. Because I, th- I think of you as someone who knows yourself really, really well, but it seems like that's you've been continuing to really focus on getting to know yourself. And so I'm curious, I want to know about your travels, what inspired that, what you've taken away from that. And also th- this idea of selfishness, because I think you and I are both people who if the if there weren't negative connotations to what it means to be selfish, we're both sort of selfish people, and I'm really uncomfortable saying that. But I I, I would love to hear your your thoughts on that. I on that. I'll start with the second part. Thanks for the question. I I do feel like I'm wildly generous and wildly dedicated to the care of the people I love, whether it be in like my thoughts, my thinking, my planning about how to help them. Um. My attention is generally always on how do I prepare this body and mind in such a way that I can endure something with my parents or my sister or my partner or my friends. Like, so I feel really generous with like, but also I feel really selfish. I spend a lot of time on my body and my mind. I spend a lot of time in solitude and meditation, like, you know, going to different body workers. Like I put in the work to like make this body somewhat balanced and strong and resilient so that I can go help my dad. Like I can go help my mom. Like I can go help my friend who needs help, you know? Like, so I think a long time ago, I had the sense of like, if I'm not healthy and by healthy, I mean like resilient, like strong, like good perspective, like emotional agility, I can't help other people. And I think that like, that was something I learned in my early twenties was just like, you have to take care of you Um, so I guess in some ways it's selfish, but I think it's, it's done with an intention to like show up better for the world. Um, yeah, I think about that a lot. Sometimes I'm like, damn, am I too selfish? Like I spent a lot of time on like, again, therapy, body workers, like acupuncture, like it's all about this, but if this isn't strong, like what good am I, you know, that's kind of how I've been feeling around that. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I mean, I'll I'll say like, for me, I think that's part of the reason I take care of myself. I think part of it is because I just want to feel good for myself. Yeah. And um, because I do need an enormous amount of alone time to be my happiest. And that can feel really, really selfish. But yeah, at the end of the day, if, if somebody wants to have a relationship with us in any capacity, there is like there's a give and take PSA. Yeah. (laughs) Part of it, you know, so just accepting that. Yeah. And I think I don't do well with people who are martyrs. Like people who are like, I have to do this because I'm like a mom or so I I exclusively date women. So like, if you're listening, that's why I'm saying mom. So if I date someone who's like, I'm a mom, I have to do this. I'm like, yes, you do. But motherhood isn't martyrdom. And, you know, I, I learned early on that like, again, my mom gave everything she had to us. She didn't have the ability, the resources, the forward thinking to say like, hold on, I need to invest in myself. Like they didn't have the money or the time. And so I I saw what that did to her though. She was stressed. She was tired. She was dealing with a lot. And I just remember thinking like, I want to be in a place where I'm strong and resilient so I can enjoy my life. I can help other people. There was a good quote on Instagram where it was like, they're like, what are you training for? And the person was like, life, yo, like I'm training for life. Like <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm training for. It's so true. I feel like you, you really are a natural caretaker, which even though that can, and that just shows up in so many different ways, but I think you're right. I think, um, it's not, it's not appealing to for someone to just lose themselves completely and their health, um, 
in order to take care of anyone. And for practical reasons, it just doesn't make sense either. So I love that that's something that you've been able to communicate to people in your life. Yeah. It's not easy. And I just want to echo the alone time too. I was joking with someone. I'm like, with um, a few people this week, I'm just like, can I just also like have my own bedroom a few nights a week? Cause I just need to like decompress. Um, as a caretaker, I work in healthcare still. A lot of my time is like outward focus, like mediating, coaching, mo- like helping support people. And I need hours at the end of the day to like, okay, quiet time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Tell me about, about your travel inspo. I I think when I was really young, I was like 24, I lost my job teaching English and it was a budget cut reason. And I thought, I'm going to go see the world. And so I kind of got the travel bug when I was about 24, 25. And I never got to travel in college or as a kid, we didn't have much money. So there was no travel. It was just like, you're here. (laughs) And so I played college basketball and never got a chance to study abroad. And when I was 24, I decided to move to Hong Kong to like teach international English and and just see Southeast Asia. And ever since then, there was something around the thrill of like packing a bag, getting on a plane, go seeing the world. I feel the most alive when I travel. I just feel the most connected to humanity when I travel. Um, Yeah, I think that's, that's my inspiration. It's just like, how can I feel more alive and connected in the world? I don't know if it's too complex. I'm not escaping anything here. I always come back. Like I just, I just need to every couple of months have something to look forward to and something to, um, to plan for it. It just brings me life. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and it's, it's, but, but a lot of people don't fill their need to fill their cup in that way. And I think that is something I, I remember that about you back in culinary school. I remember you, you had really missed, it had been really hard for you to miss those at that opportunity. And, um, so I'm, I'm really glad you've been able to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. In fact, in June, I'll be spending some time in Costa Rica and, Utah and oh, yeah. uh, I think in November I'll be in Utah for a couple of weeks camping. So like, you know, just going to go see the world. Oh my God. Amazing. Yay. So well, any other questions on your end or. Um, I mean, I could talk to you forever. Yeah. I just, um, no, I've just been so, I've just been so fascinated to watch your journey and to see how it's evolved. And I actually just selfishly, if you don't mind me being selfish, I would love to just hear a little bit more, um, either part of the interview or not, but I would love to hear a little bit more about what your work is that you've been doing and, um, how that's, how are you enjoying it? Is it something you want to, you've been still a part of Parsley Mm -hmm. and what you envision for yourself and your work in the next like five to 10 years. Good question. Good question. Yeah, I can answer that. Um, so these days I, you know, I've been a coach of some sort for 18, 17, 18 years, like college basketball coach, high school coach, like nutrition coach, right. For 10 years, like, and I've always been supporting people in a one-on-one or team fashion. And, um, I've learned a lot in all of those mediums. And then the last like three years, I've been doing a lot of what's called conscious leadership coaching. So I learned about it through um, a group called the Conscious Leadership Group. They have a book called The 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership. How many times can I say the word conscious? And <laughs> I, I love the principle. I love the methodology. It sort of is a framework that allows us to take all the meta spirituality, all the meta self-improvement, professional development, and put that into practice. And so I do a lot of that coaching at my job, but I also do it outside of it as well. So I work with clients and they're clients who feel stuck in what's called a repeated drama pattern and they want to get out of the repeated drama pattern. 
And that could be like relational, it could be career-wise, it could be like health-wise, it could be like just their own inner turmoil, right? Um, and so I work with people in that respect and I, I love it. I feel like it's my sweet spot. Um, and I've learned a lot about coaching and about listening and about helping people connect the mind to the body and vice versa and how to do that. I think in the past, I, when I was a nutrition coach, it was kind of like, you know, we said earlier in the interview, like, when we came out of NGI, we were both like, do this, eat this, like get your mm-hmm. shit together. We were like preaching. And now mm-hmm. I'm not preaching when I work with people, I'm just listening. And that's been a really big shift for me from like an active listening, like sort of somatic experience to really connect with people. And I, I've really loved it. It's felt, it's felt the most powerful for me. And I think hopefully for the people I work with. So that's what I do in this podcast, honestly, too, is is a, is a labor of just like creativity. And I do so much work in healthcare that every single project has what's called an OKR, a metric, a data point. It, we have to prove everything we do. And there's valid reason for that. But I want to create something that I don't have to prove at the end of the day. I don't have to like track the metrics. I don't, it doesn't have to be a business outcome. Like a creative endeavor can just be a creative endeavor. Like it's like if, if every recipe you ever made had to prove <laughs> XYZ engagement or had to prove weight loss, you'd be like, bye. And so my creative like urge here in creating the School of Unlearning was like to solve for the thing that I most want, which is relationships, human connection, and to get stories out there that can help people. And I don't plan on measuring it or data tracking it. I'm just going to put it out there and see what happens. So that's kind of where I am with those two modalities. But I love that. And I'm so proud of you. And, um, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of having, you know, a, a good number of, of podcast interviews at this point. And I, and I don't want that in here, but like you can cut that yeah. out, but between you and um, I think that this has been a really special and unique conversation. And I don't always say that. And I think part of that is because you and I do go so far back. And even though we haven't been able to see each other, there's just so much history. There's so much history you create when you go through an intense, intimate experience. And then we have stayed in touch. You and I have made a point to have phone chats like every now and again. So I'm really proud of you. And I actually think that this is really, um, this is really powerful and different and impactful. And I'm super excited about it. And I'm, I'm definitely, you know, of course, going to share with my community in Yay. any way too. So yeah, this is awesome. I've loved having you on and um, I'm really proud of your growth too. And uh, not just from like a, you know, a content perspective. I think you make amazing content. You'll continue to make amazing content for the world, whether it be food or community led, but I've just been really proud to see the way you've handled your growth as a person and finding your voice and saying like, no, I have to make decisions for me. I mean, that's my takeaway from this interview is like, you're embodying what it means to make decisions for yourself, which is a radical thing. Like people don't do that. (laughs) Like people are just like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Yeah, sure. I'll do that. And then they suffer in the background. And like I said, like martyrdom doesn't help anybody. And I think that you and I learned this at a very young age is like, we had this sense of like, no, like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live that way. And we disrupted some things and ruffled some feathers, but you know, this is our life on this rock called earth and we're careening through space and we're just trying to create something that feels good for us. And I'm just proud of you. And I can't wait to see what you do next. 
Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Please go follow Laura Lee on Instagram at Laura Lee Balanced. She has thousands of recipes and incredible pictures that definitely will make you want to get into the kitchen. And uh, she has a cookbook that's coming out, but also has a cookbook called Simply LL Cookbook. And thank you again for sitting in on this conversation. It's been too long since Laura Lee and I got to sort of chop it up and talk shop about life and relationships and social media. And I'm so glad that you got a chance to sit in with us and um, stay tuned for the next episode. Hey friends, thanks for listening to the School of Unlearning podcast. You can follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Be sure to check out the show notes, complete with links and insight you won't want to miss. If you enjoyed this episode, take one minute to rate, review, and share this podcast. Because our learning and unlearning never ends, and we don't have to do it alone.